I feel it's important as we start the new year because I want us to be committed personally and I want us to be committed as a church uh, that we will emulate and follow the character of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you emulated all of the character of Jesus? Can you imagine what that would be a force in this world? Can you imagine what this church would look like if this church was empowered and emulated in every way the character of Jesus Christ? Uh, and so that's our desire this, this year. We know that, that God has, has given us the authority uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, to do that. We stand ready to do that. We cannot do it within our own will, but we do it because God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit, we are empowered. So as you see these, this message from last week and this week, I want you to recognize that God has given you the authority to speak like this and to embrace these characteristics and to change your life and to become more like Jesus uh, in every way. And so we've, we've uh, reduced the characteristics of Jesus to what I call the 10 most profound. We started it last week, and last week we noticed that Jesus was compassionate. He was a servant. He was a, a loving, forgiving man, uh, and he was committed in all that he did. Uh, and so we saw that. And so this week we're going to study another five characteristics that I believe we can incorporate into our lives. The first characteristic of Jesus was that he was prayerful. He was prayerful. No matter how busy he was, no matter how, uh, how profound the crowds were, or how pulled he was in so many ways, whether he was on a mountaintop, or he was at the river, or in a valley, wherever Jesus was, surrounded by whoever he was, he never turned from people, and he constantly prayed for people. And we have a slide. If you look at Mark 1.35, you'll see that. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to pray in a solitary place. That's what Jesus would do. He would pray constantly in every possible way. Um, and so it's important for us to recognize uh, how Jesus does that. Now, some people may ask, if Jesus was God, why did he need to pray? And I've heard that question posed, and I really feel it's important that you understand this. Very simply, Jesus understood that, that uh, prayer was the way to intercede between himself and God. Prayer was the way that he could intercede for his disciples, for the lost, in every possible way. And, you know, it's interesting because... In my Monday morning group, we spend, as we start, and it's a good-sized group of men from all different churches. There's about 200 guys there. And we start every week by taking prayer requests from the crowd. And, you know, it takes about 15 minutes, 15 minutes to get the prayer requests in as, a, as everybody gives us various prayer requests. And somebody has asked me once, well, why, why don't we eliminate that? Uh, because that takes away time when we could really be studying the Bible. And I say, no, this is just as important in, study, in studying the Bible. Because you see, God is teaching us that it's our responsibility to pray for each other. You need to hear the needs of other people. God wants you to know when people are hurting. And he wants you to reach out in empathy and bless them and lift them up. And also, he wants you to recognize how blessed you are. Uh, even though you thought that your situation was bad, but then when you hear other things, then you come in way and you say, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord. I didn't understand, but I will pray for others. And so that's the nature of prayer. That's what Jesus is teaching us. 
in every possible way. So Jesus understood the need for intercessory uh, prayer. Uh, and it was, in fact, the very worldview of Christ. That's what empowered him. He knew that prayer was critical. And he taught his disciples. Look, even how he taught them to pray in the Lord's Prayer, how he gave them that example how to reach God. And when you reach God, understanding in that prayer mode, you're not asking God to be your hotel concierge. I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. Instead, Lord, blessed art thou, Father. Hallowed be thy name in, in, in this world as in the next. Bowing before the holiness of God as Jesus is teaching us in every way. Uh, and one of, the, one of the verses that really uh, uh, is profound to me is found in John 17, verse 9. And Jesus says there, talking about us, and his disciples and his followers, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. I want you to think about how significant that statement is. That means that Jesus is praying for you. Even right now at the right hand of God, he's praying for you. Can you imagine God himself praying for us? Praying for us, and that's what he told his disciples that I pray for them. He's not praying for the world. Let's understand something. Jesus isn't praying for the world. He's praying for those who have bowed in submission and given him all, and those who he has uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so you see this aspect of, of Christ. That's not, it's not really in any way uh, a cold, distant life. It is a warm, ongoing prayer life. Uh, whether it was in the middle of the night, whether it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, whether it was there when Satan tried to destroy him, whether it was at that moment that he was praying to the Father, Lord, is there some other way I can follow your will without going to the cross in this ignominious death and being told through prayer, no, 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 Jesus, there is no other way. This is the way in bowing and submission. What an example. What an example to us to live and incorporate that part of, of him into us, to make that a regular part of your prayer life. And so uh, it, it vividly demonstrated that when Jesus prays for himself and his immediate disciples as well as all believers, that's the nature of who Jesus was. And so the second characteristic I want to bring your attention to is the fact that Jesus was gentle. Gentle. Uh, there were times when Jesus would be stern. There were times when he would put a line in the sand uh, in terms of, of the behavior of people. But generally speaking, in everything that he did, Jesus was warm-hearted and gentle. And what a lesson that is for us. How many of us need to be more gentle? How many of us need to be more kind as we reach out to the world? I mean, really, I'm, I'm convicted of this myself because at times I can be gentle, but at times I'm not so gentle. Okay? Uh, and often it depends on how I perceive you towards me. You understand what I'm saying? If I'm getting some negative vibes, all of a sudden I'm not so gentle. Okay? And that's the nature of humanity. But you see, that's not the nature of Jesus. That's not how Jesus lived. He was gentle in every aspect of his life. But, 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 Jesus was righteous. And Jesus understood justice. And that is why... When Jesus walked into the temple and saw the money changers, even though Jesus was absolutely gentle, he flipped over the tables. He flipped over the tables because he could not abide the sin that
that was in his father's house. God repudiates the sin in his father's house. He repudiates that kind of conduct uh, in his house. And Jesus gave us that, that example as well. So yes, God wants us to be gentle. Yes, he wants us to be loving and kind in everything that we do. But at the same time, there's a time when Jesus also showed justice. Turn, look at the board of Matthew chapter 11. Look at what Jesus says there. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the message you have to give to the lost. That's the message you have to give to a world that has not embraced God, that's not embraced Christ. Because the world thinks God is harsh. The, the world thinks that God is a taskmaster. Instead, we know otherwise. We know that God has loved us so deeply and so profoundly that he bankrupted heaven and sent Christ to this earth to die for us. All right? Bankrupted heaven, literally. And so you see Jesus reaching out and saying to the whole world, you're weary and you're burdened. I will give you rest. I will take you away from the difficulties and the sadness. Lean upon me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is your Savior. This is your God. And that's the message that God wants you to give uh, to a world that is incredibly lost. Look even also at the first couple verses in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as Jesus reaches out and speaks to us uh, about our conduct in the kingdom. And look at how everything is phrased in kindness and gentleness. Look at that, Matthew 5, verses 3 to 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Don't you see the entire message shrouded and covered uh, in gentleness and kindness and love? That is your Savior. That is how Jesus lived. That was his worldview in everything that he did, in every place that he went. And so... You want to be his hands and feet. You want to be the kind of person that attracts others to Christ. And that's your responsibility. Well, if you want that, this is a characteristic you need to develop. You need to be gentle as you go and approach the world. Meaning what? You're going to come across people that don't live like you. They don't talk like you. They're not Christians. All right? And how do we approach those people? Do we say, oh, you're lost, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. I hope you like hot weather because that's where you're going to be. Do you think that's the kind of conduct, really? Do you think that's the kind of attractive language that brings people to Christ? Or instead, do you say, I want you to know I love you, I care for you, and I want to introduce somebody that loves you even more, that will lift you up, that will take care of you for the rest of your life in this world and the next. I want to talk to you about Jesus. That's the kind of person you need to be. That's the kind of gentle Christian that you need to be. And you see that. And you see it even as Jesus walks in to Jerusalem, knowing he's going to die in a few days. And instead of coming in on a horse, on a war horse, as the palms go down and the throngs say Hosanna and bow before him, who, which of us, which of us wouldn't say, get me the biggest horse you can find? I want a giant horse. I want a big feather. I want to show people who I am. I know, unfortunately, that's probably what I would do. Okay, that's probably what I would do. But you see how Jesus was no. Go get a donkey. Go get a donkey. 
Get some little small donkey that had never been ridden on before. That's who the king of kings will come in to Jerusalem as. It was the nature of the man in every way, surrounded by gentleness and kindness. And that's why they thronged for Jesus. That's why people came to Jesus, even before they, they understood that he was the Messiah. Uh, and, and, and though he is gentle, he still repudiated evil because we know there's a verse that talks about when he looked at the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and repudiated them. He called them hypocrites, snakes, sons of hell, fools, whitewashed tombs, and murderers. Okay? So Jesus wasn't a wuss. Okay? And let me say that to the Christians in the group, especially to the, to the men. I don't want you to think that when you take on Christianity that you become a wuss. You don't become a wuss. You become a warrior in the, for, the, for Jesus Christ. Okay? Yes, a warrior. A warrior. Restrained. Restrained. All right? Restrained in every way, but yet having the authority of God and the Holy Spirit and everything that you say as you go out into a lost world. That's what God has called you to do. That is the very character of Jesus Christ. Um, and so as we continue to look through the list of things, the next, the next characteristic of Jesus was that he was patient. He was patient. Uh, and and uh, again, in his life, he showed this. Um, and, and the amazing thing about Jesus as he was patient was, was that he exhibited this, this characteristic constantly uh, in, in showing people who he was. Look, he spent three years with 12 guys that never understood who he was. How's that for patience? They never understood who he was, all right? And yet Jesus abided by them and lived with them and, and lifted them up uh, and, and, and showed who they were uh, and, and demonstrated that. I put a, 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 some verses up on the board uh, demonstrating the patience of Jesus, and it's the verses that, that go back to when Jesus was taken by Satan into the wilderness. And I'm using that to show you the patience of God. Because Jesus knew that God had called him fully man, fully God, to experience everything that you do, to be tempted every way you are. And as he did that, it's not easy to be tempted, especially when you're God. I want you to realize that he's being tempted by Satan, a fallen angel, and yet he has the very patience to allow Satan uh, to do that to him. And look at these verses as he says this here in verses 4 to 11 in Matthew 4. He will command his angels as Satan, taunting him, saying, throw, you know, throw, you know, take this bread, take these rocks, and let, or throw yourself off the temple, uh, and God will lift you up. And it says here in these verses, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's how Jesus understood it. He understood the call of his life. Continuing on, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said, I will give this with you, he said. And Jesus, again, in, in his patience of, of serving God at the call of God in his life, said, if you, and Satan says, if you bow down and worship me, he said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all this. It's all mine. And here's the thing. Jesus never said you're a liar. Jesus never said you're a liar. Because it was true. 
he had authority in this world. He did have authority. And Jesus said to me, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the, and the angels came uh, and attended him. And what a powerful, powerful image there of self-control uh, and humility. Uh, and even though he was hungry, he had eaten for 40 days. Even though he was weak and he had your flesh. Don't go saying Jesus was God. Yes, he had the prerequisites of God, but as he walked in this world, he was incarnated with flesh. He understood pain. He understood hunger. And there he was. And yet he had the ability. He had the ability to withstand those taunts from, from Satan. And so Jesus Christ supreme, supremely displayed God's patient character in his work of salvation. And he reflected God's own patient character in his life. And as I, as I reflect on this, um, and, I, and I see that, that aspect of patience in Jesus' life, uh, I, I, I saw this verse in the Old Testament that described God speaking to Moses. When, God, when Moses was up on the mountain, and Moses is meeting really God for the first time, and now I'm recognizing who God is, the holiness of God, right? The sovereignty of God. Who is this God? Who's going to take the Jewish people out of captivity? Who is this God? And you see in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, and he, meaning God, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Understand the patience of God, that he saw the very sinfulness of man, that he withstood it and saw it, and yet gives man a chance to repent. Time after time after time. And after 1,400 years of seeing the Jewish people uh, be wicked and not submitting themselves to, to the law of God. Finally, what does he do? He sends the once and always perfect uh, salvation, Jesus Christ, even then to those people and did it. And even then they rejected him. And so what would you do if you were God? What would you do? I know what I would do, all right? I mean, I know what I would do, and I think most of you would do the same thing. That's it. Let's wipe them out and start all over, right? Let's wipe them out. Let's start all over. But not, but, but Moses said to God, even as God quizzed, quizzed uh, Moses and suggested that, and Moses said, God, but what will, your, what will your enemies say that you took them out of Egypt to destroy them in the desert? And God didn't do it for that reason. He wanted to see Moses stand up for the lost. He wanted him to exhibit the patience of a godly man to step up for those who need to see it. That's your call on your life. This is the characteristic that you need that Jesus displayed, that you have to have this and have it incorporated in your life. As Jesus, as God said there, I have maintained love to thousands and have forgiven wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Amazing. God, how, look at your own life. Remember where you were before you were forgiven. Remember where you were when you were lost. Remember the kind of person that you were before you came under the Holy Spirit and walked with Christ. None of us 
None of us could lift our heads up with pride. All of us were lost. Not a single one of us. And we bow and recognize that that is the call of God on our life. And he exhibited this patience. So when you are praying for your children and your children aren't going to church with you and they're outside the will of God, here's what I would say. Be patient. Be patient. How long did it take for you before you became a committed Christian? How long did it take for you before you straightened out your walk in life? How long did it take for you before you understood what God's will was for you? How long did it take for you? And for many of us, it's ongoing now, decade after decade after decade. And we don't have patience for those people in our families that we're praying for. That's a characteristic God wants you to have. And so even as they sit outside the will of God, God says for you to be patient. Because it's that characteristic that ultimately will draw them to the cross of Jesus Christ uh, in such a profound way. And look also at 1 Timothy chapter 1 that's on the board, verse 16. But for, for that very reason, I was shown mercy, and this is Paul, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Why would Paul, the greatest evangelist in the history of the world, the man who would write two-thirds of the New Testament, why would Paul say that Jesus had mercy and showed, mer and showed patience with him? Why? Because you remember Saul, the predecessor of Paul, who would murder the Christians. All right, who was involved in the very death of Stephen, who went to, to Damascus in order to go and persecute the Christians. And on that road to Damascus, he's struck down by Jesus Christ himself, and forever his life was changed. That's why Paul knew it was the very mercy and patience of God that waited for him, that knew what he would become, that knew he would not be Saul forever, that he would be Paul and that he would change the world that God would use him. That's the call of your life. You understand? That's the characteristic of Jesus in patience. It's, it's just so amazing as, as you see Jesus reaching out in that profound way. And then the next characteristic we need to focus on is that Jesus had self-control. This is a big one. He had self-control. He didn't go off recklessly. He didn't lose his mind. He didn't have bursts of anger. Do you, any of you have these issues in your life? No, probably not. This is a good group. It's your pastor that has these issues. You need to pray for him. You need to pray for him. But, but you have to understand that, uh, is that Jesus was constantly under self-control. And I want you to think, think about the self-control that he exhibited. Uh, he exhibited this self-control uh, even as people didn't believe him. He didn't have, they repudiated him. They hated him. The disciples didn't believe him. The Pharisees hated him. The Sadducees hated him. All right. And nobody was accepting him for what he was. The Messiah, the savior of the world. Uh, and so yet he had the self-control even to, to corral those issues, the human aspect of it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin 
against them. And he has committed to us in the message of reconciliation. Understand what we're talking about here. Reconciliation effectively is self-control. I'm with you. I'm lifting you up. I'm putting you in a position where you are reconciled to God. Uh, and that requires the self-control of Christ in your life uh, and through God himself. Continuing on, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the call of God on your life. You understand that God saves the world through individual people. It is through relationships that God has called us to go out in the world and embrace the lost through these relationships and bring people to God. They see God in your life. And so when they see you, I want them to see the characteristics of Christ in your life. I want them to see this exhibit of self-control uh, in a powerful way. And I'm going to show you some things that probably you hadn't thought about as we reflect on Jesus. First of all, look at the board. Jesus had many brothers and sisters. Now, why is that slide up there? It's up there because I want to ask those of you who had grew up with siblings. How was it for you when you grew up with siblings? You're laughing, right? You got along all the time. You never had an argument. My sister's here. She could testify about me. I did plenty of bad things. And the point was, is when you have brothers and sisters in your life, you are tempted constantly. You understand that. I'm sure many of you were tempted to smack your brother or smack your sister. All right. Uh, frankly, I can tell you a story myself, uh, which every once in a while I lift the curtain a little bit, not too much, but I let people see a little bit about what I was before God really started to drill down on me. And growing up in our house, uh, I was a regular kid. I was a regular kid. I certainly wasn't Jesus. And so uh, growing up with my sister, we would fight. My mother would fight with us. And my mother would say to us, wait till your father gets home. Wait till your father gets home. And here's the thing. My poor father, he was part-time in the ministry then. You know, he was in his 30s. And he worked in a foundry. Can you imagine? He worked in a bronze foundry. I got tremendous heat uh, and those, those smells. And his, it would actually get in his skin uh, and in his pores. And he would come home at 4 o'clock. And he was exhausted. You understand? But I knew I had 50 feet. You understand? I had 50 feet from where he would park the car to when he would get into the house. And this is how I became a lawyer. Because at the age of 12, I knew that I had probably 23 seconds to spin my story to my father. Dad, you're going to go in, and you're going to hear a lot of lies from Mommy. They're all lies. Don't go there, Dad. Don't go there. Don't believe a word that she says. Of course, he'd go in, she'd tell him, and then he'd unload on us. And before those days, they didn't have the child authorities that would come out. So you can imagine we got smacked around. That was before it was against the law. But you know, Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't like that. Uh, you can imagine what kind of a man he was. And so here he is with all these brothers and sisters. I look at Matthew 13, 54. This is important because I want you to see the characteristic of Jesus in his humanity. All right? Look at this. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching that the people in the synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? 
isn't this Mary's, isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Can you imagine the self-control? All right. I'm sure his mother said to his brothers, why can't you be like Jesus? Why can't you be like Jesus? Look, he never does anything wrong. He's a piece of bread. Okay. You think it was easy for Jesus growing up like that? You think I want you to reflect on that, on that life. And yet the Bible tells us that he never sinned, that he never sinned in his humanity, in his flesh. He didn't sin. He was walking just like you walk, tempted like just you're walking. And look at Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Amen. That's your Jesus, just like you, understanding, walking just like you, subject to temptation just like you, but he didn't sin. Yes, he had family issues. Yes, he had family problems. He had a family that didn't accept him. His brothers and sisters never accepted him. His brother James only accepted him after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. How do you like that? And of course, then he became a great Christian. He became effectively the bishop of the Jerusalem church. But up until that time, they repudiated him. They didn't accept him. Can you imagine being the son of God walking in this world and yet your own family doesn't accept you. I mean, I'm telling you this because I know that many of you have issues in your own family. Jesus has demonstrated to you how you are to live, even with those kind of issues, in such a powerful way. And think about this. When he's being crucified on the cross, he's sitting there and he's being crucified on the cross, and he had told us that he could command a battalion of angels, a battalion of angels who were going to come, who could have stopped it, who could have taken him off the cross. And yet he bowed in submission, in self-control, to the will of God, because he knew that God wanted him, wanted him to die on the cross. That was the purpose of what God had done from the beginning of time. This would be the once and always perfect sacrifice. That is your God. That is your Jesus. That is the characteristic of self-control that God wants us to adopt and grow that into our lives in a greater way. And then finally, Finally, Jesus had the characteristic of humility. He was humble. He was humble. He never lifted himself up. He never sought to, the, to have the spotlight. He constantly looked to be down, to be humble in every way. What a lesson this is for us. There's not a single man or woman in the Bible that has been used by God if they were arrogant or prideful. Not one person. What does it mean? It means when you bow to God, when you humble yourself to God, when you put your face in the dust, God will lift you up. God will lift you up. You don't have to tell people you're holy. You don't have to tell people you're gifted or talented. Christ will make it known. He will call you. And I want to assure you of this and let you understand this, how important this is. Look at John 4, verse 34 on the board. My food said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's the call of God, to do his will, not your will, to bow before his throne in every possible way. And so when you understand the, the nature of Christ, 
When you understand what he brought to this world, when you understand it, you really, really are, are humble and, and say, God, I need to adopt these characteristics. One of my favorite verses in, in scripture uh, is Philippians. Uh, and, and, and when you see this here, you'll see it on the board. It says in Philippians 2, 5 to 11, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and the church said, that is your Jesus. That is the nature of humility. That is what happens when we bow to God, when we give him our lives, when we turn it all over to him, when we say, Father, I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say, Lord. I will be the kind of man you want me to be. I will humble myself. It's not about me, God. It's not about me. It's about you. And so let me be the hands and feet, Christ, of you. Let me go out into a world. Let me leave this church and go out into the parking lots and the streets. And let me change Naples. Let me change this world. Let me show people what it means to be sold out to Christ. Let me be the very mirror of Jesus Christ in every aspect of my life. Amen, church? Let's stand and close this service. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words that you've given us. Lord, the characteristics of Jesus have overwhelmed us. As we've spent the past two weeks looking at this character, Father, what an example to us, what a paradigm for us as to how to live, Lord. And so we know that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, Father. And so we know that as we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to change our lives through you, Father. And so we ask you to mold us, to change us, to lift us up, to conform us to the life of Jesus. Let us be those kinds of men and women that can effectuate change in this world, Father. We ask you in every way, Lord, to let this message resonate in the hearts of our church. Let us be committed today to begin this change practically day by day. Lift our people up. Protect them. Let this lesson resonate in our heart, Father. And now protect our people. Be with them this week and bring them back, Lord, next week to continue your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.